Hi everyone, uh, welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, my guest is Ayush Gangwal. Uh, a small introduction to uh, Ayush uh, is that uh, he's a friend and colleague of mine, uh, but currently is a freelance architect based in Aurangabad and is currently working on various residential and institutional projects across the country. Ayush was an associate architect at RMA Architects and has previously worked locally in Mumbai and Aurangabad. He has also worked internationally with firms like Palinda Kanangara Architects in Colombo and Su Fujimoto Architects in Tokyo. He has a keen interest in architectural research and was a part of the core research team for the State of Housing Exhibition organized by the Urban Design Research Institute, UDRI, and the Architecture Foundation. Uh, first of all, before I thank you for doing this uh, podcast with me, Ayush, uh, you know, ever since I started the podcast, I've told all my friends, I'm going to get my colleagues from the office and, and, you know, <laughs> and, you know, you have to explain, you know, how you got away all these weeks, uh, you know, for the, la- <laughs> so tell me, catch us up with that. Okay. Just before we start, I just want to say really, I'm sorry for pushing this. I think for three months, <laughs> more than three months we've been chasing uh behind me but we just moved to a new house and, and we started traveling and covid in the middle so it was kind of uh very messy but finally i'm here i'm very very happy to do this mm-hmm. uh, on a nice sunday morning yeah, yeah. so what what you know in the last three months what i've been up to like since i left Adam? yeah yeah or, sure uh, okay so few of the projects are still confidential but i'm working on a really interesting house in bangalore it's just a 2000 square feet uh residential house in a very small kind of part of the city but it's very interesting in terms of the section but it's really small uh, just for a family of four people and then i'm obviously associated with rma in limited capacity just trying to finish and get things done which kind of left over from my project which i was working on and i'm working on a small actually not so small but like a medium-ish uh, uh, outhouse near Aurangabad. So these are the things thank you, which I'm working on and I'm busy with these days. And obviously I was moving into this new house. We just finished doing the interiors of this one. So I was involved with that, mm-hmm. uh, but this is done now. So fine. Yeah. So on this new house, how much of a hand do you have in it? <laughs> uh, I shopped a lot for the house. So like all the accessories and furnishings are kind of, uh, I was involved because my dad's also an architect. So he was, kind of involved with it since beginning uh but last three months just in the finishing stages you know the color some furniture i wanted to keep and not keep in the house especially in my room uh if you see my room i'll send you some photos but uh there's no furniture at all there's no bed uh you know to sleep i have this kind of a futon which i folded and becomes a sofa during the day so it's more of more of a workspace for me uh than a sleeping space and uh yeah so there's, there's absolutely very, very little furniture. I have this really long table, which I kind of, it's very messy, but apart from this table, everything else is just walls, mm. uh, absolutely nothing else. Mm. But the rest of the houses, yeah, quite, I mean, it's finally a Marwadi house. So it's <laughs> filled with quite a few stuff, mm. uh, which I kind of try and try to avoid. Yeah. You know, I actually want to start off with a little bit uh, of your formidable years. Uh, you have uh, quite traveled a lot extensively throughout your, uh, you know, initial uh, part when you're starting off. Uh, let's start with, you know, the first office that you ever worked in and uh, we'll, we'll kick our conversation from there. Sure. Uh, so I actually, 
have worked a lot at quite a different places. So I started working actually when I was in my second year of college. Uh, actually, before that, if you consider working with my dad, but that was just like cleaning PCs and organizing files. But in second year, uh, uh, I joined this firm called uh, S Plus PS, the Shilpa and Pinkesha Architects. They were very, their office was really close to my college and my dad knew them very well. So I used to go there after kind of college hours for three or four hours a day. And there I was just working on presentation drawings. And at that time, that firm was uh, quite in the limelight, if I say so, but because of the collage house. But but also like Pinkish was both of them, but Pinkish mostly was teaching full time uh, at Kamla Reja. Uh, and it, I always kind of like working in environments where, you know, the architects are educators themselves. Like mm -hmm. so was Rahul or yeah. Palinda or Pinkish. I think that gives a different kind of a context to uh, the practice where you're working. Uh, and the conversation then we have in the offices are very different than if you're, you know, your boss's kind of educator as well. It, it's different and it's interesting. And I think it, it's important for us to be kind of always continuing, kind of be associated with that academic world. And that link kind of is very important for me as well. And that's why kind of these firms uh, where I worked in, Kind of it, it kind of went. so from 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 Pinkish's office in second year and third year in the summer vacations I went to Sri Lanka, and I worked for almost a month and a half with uh, Palinda, uh, and that was a really interesting experience because that was the first time I was traveling abroad. I was on my own, and just then to explore all the Bawa works and then working so closely with Palinda. And the thing, the, the interesting part about Palinda's office is more than the architects in his office, the interns do a lot of site visits with him. So I used to, we used to tag along with Palinda, uh, me, and there was another intern with me in almost a lot of site visits. Uh, and even, even if there's a new site, there's a new client coming, going and measure drawing the site uh, across the country, it was just not restricted to Colombo. So we traveled extensively with Palinda, and then I also on the weekends traveled myself. Uh, seeing the country. I think, uh, as I said, being an educator is important and also like traveling is extremely important. Like the same thing kind of continued when I was in Japan as well. But just seeing works of these different architects and just not even, you know, just, just famous works, but just traveling across the country, uh, seeing different landscapes, seeing different rural settlements, uh, kind of just the way people live. It's, I think it's extremely important for us to understand that because basically uh, that's what we are. We are supposed to build for someone according to what they kind of live. So it's extremely important to get a hang of how people live or how people have been living. I mean, usually when architects then end up designing some things based on kind of their experience, and if they have, if they have no traveling experience or no experience, you know, working with people so closely, then they kind of build for themselves in a way, you know, the client, the projects become very personal for them and they end up building something which is, you know, what an architect would, he himself would imagine, you know, what should be, but not kind of what the other person wants. But if you have this experience and you know how people kind of are different across and you have different expectations, I think then it kind of is interesting in how you respond to people and context and, uh, and, and things like that. So that was, well, again, it was a very short kind of internship, but I really kind of learned in Sri Lanka, how nature uh, and architecture is almost one. You know, we had snakes in the office. Uh, I remember one day, half a day, we were just chasing this really long kind of a snake in the office because it was kind of 
each one mouse in the office okay. and i don't know what's happening and palanda had recently moved to a new office it's a beautiful building it's at the edge of this creek and then there are alligators so what palinda has done or not done he's not built a wall along the creek so the alligators in the evening used to come and kind of park themselves in the compound of the office it was scary but like for someone coming from a city context it is scary and then um i was also then at that time i mean obviously i was in sri lanka reading about baba and then uh, about his famous kandalama hotel baba had said the building will be a success only if leopards come and visit this building you know so for him uh, so this this whole idea of you know we kind of try to keep animals away and you know keep, even when we bring nature in it's very artificial you know you pot one beautiful swiss cheese plant in corner of a house that's not getting nature in you know that's you still have that distance that's not i don't think that is what a lot of architects these days you know they just five potted plants for a balcony full of money plant that's not bringing nature in that's very different from what i experienced in sri lanka i think they're building very close to nature they're building almost inside really dense green and and the way uh, a lot of sri lankan architects have responded to that is really really mature and interesting to see uh, which sadly we don't see much of it in india but also i don't see that kind of a context remaining or left in india given few pockets uh, so yeah that was sri- yeah i actually want to go back and ask you know you said your internship over there was for about one and a half month uh that's not a a usual amount of time frame is it like how do you convince uh, you know when you're getting into firms like these you know you know that i'm going to work that's for one month then i'm going to leave so how do you do that uh so that was kind of not an internship for me see i was again i was in third year and that's not when usually at that time internship was only after fifth year of uh, college i think internships in fourth year started recently two or three years back but before that the internship was only kind of after five years so my idea was not to go and intern in an office my idea was more to travel in sri lanka but uh, palinda had come to aurangabad the same year when i had applied for internship and uh, uh, so my dad was the president of the local iia chapter and that's how we got him to aurangabad and then how that's how i got to meet him and i just told him i really want to visit sri lanka and that time in third year we were studying uh, bawa's work in theory of design so i really wanted to go and see and you know just travel abroad never been outside in sri lanka was really like a safe place to start uh, to go out and that's when i met palinda and varna uh, both of them they were there and i told them i really want to come there don't think of me as an intern you want to give me drawing work you want to give me model making work you want to give me no work or whatever work i'm fine i just want to be there so i have 5 days of a week i'm busy and two days of the week kind of i can then travel and explore and uh, uh, luckily they agreed so it was not an internship i think my first serious internship was after i graduated in 5th year when i worked with case design but uh, working with pinkesh or working with uh, palinda it was more just to know how things work in an office and just things beyond the office nothing kind of related to architecture i don't even remember what i drew or what projects i worked on in sri lanka but i remember my conversations with palinda or you know just his his keen interest in music or you know just us traveling across this the country going to different site visits this the whole snake episode the alligator these are the things i remember i actually don't have any memory of what drawing i did at palinda's office and that was kind of uh, uh, i enjoyed that a lot uh, in Yeah, absolutely. And then after third year, you continue working in offices in Mumbai. 
right yes so yeah so just continuing the travel story then third year we kind of yeah so that's third year in sri lanka fourth year we went to spain with that was a college trip mm-hmm. and that was a completely different off kind of the sri lanka thing and mm-hmm. that was also very interesting and then in fifth year after my thesis i first worked with uh, case design for almost two and a half three months and the other three months of my internship i kind of split with uh, and i was working in japan at fujimoto's office and then my full time job started with so udia this is after fifth year or in fifth year so my college had internship after all the academic work is over so i finished my thesis it was a part of the academic kind of curriculum as a whole so i had to give my uh, you know professional practice exam but that was after all my semesters in college work and all academic work in college is done my thesis was done in jan 2017 and from feb i started working at case design so mm. right i i think both i'm not sure which way i lean towards you know i i also think if i work for example at case design before i did my thesis my thesis would have been a little more different mm. uh, you know and just in terms of so uh, one thing i i kind of understand and i think it's across the board and all this i'm not sure but exactly speaking about my college we are really good a college really good at kind of giving that form and you know spaces are beautiful but the whole materiality aspect of buildings are missing in our projects and i could see across the board uh, in my with my colleagues at my school the the whole idea of materiality is missing and i think if and then when you go to office like case design it's about you know actually you know what kind of wood we use and we debate on you know if it's rosewood or teak wood and kind of you make beautiful models of wood or metal or those beautiful brass furniture pieces lights or marble pieces so it was completely you know like you uh, i had my thesis which was just like a simple balsa wood model and then when i went to case design there was so much materials happening the architecture was very simple but then it made was really, really rich through these textures or colors or materials so i think if i did this internship before i did my thesis i think i it could have been a more richer kind of a thesis for me so i also i don't know i think perhaps it's a good decision now that the university has decided to have internship before their thesis but i also think that it could even go wrong you know sometimes these architects are so powering that they kind of you kind of lose your own design skill so it was also good to have something you know you close your academic life being yourself and then you start your professional life understanding real life issues mm. so i'm not sure which way i lean but i think both kind of are in uh, kind of mm. interesting ways to look at it. your thesis project was indeed interesting and uh, uh, it was also presented at sorry sorry were you there when i presented it at rmu no i have seen your project through the kurla worki design forum you there no i was uh, no i was later in the archives i have noticed your work over there so that was quite interesting so can you want to talk about a little bit about that oh there's a lot i can talk about on on that but i'll just give you a brief yeah or not brief kind of a history why that project and the way it materialized i think that's more important than uh, to the project itself i'm sorry hmm. so the whole uh, you know like third year was i was infatuated with the whole sri lankan architecture and in fourth year uh, that phase was kind of more towards japanese architecture before i even applied to fujimoto's office in fourth year we had this subject called uh, uh, what was it research something something so in there basically what really really interested me in, in japanese architecture is 
before i was even reading or before i had even the intention of kind of applying to japan or working there uh you know like i i used to see these really small tiny houses but they were really wacky in a way uh, yeah. uh, you know if share some images you know but like there are houses with no windows or you know there's a house which is just glass mm. or there are houses which has like these 100 step levels but you can't define a floor or mm. uh, or you know you know there's there's a library building which has no columns but the column itself becomes the column is not you know columns usually we think of these solid kind of massy cores but that's like a very light column which you can see through there are like staircases inside the column so there are these basic things which i think japanese architecture try to question each element of architecture in a way and that really really interested me uh, and i kind of try to understand why it happens only in japan kind of and not anywhere else because we don't see you know like architecture in europe is very very building code oriented we see really nice especially interesting buildings but they're not wacky you know they're not like oh wow you know you can never think of a house like this you know you can never kind of imagine a, a terrace like that or, or 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 something uh so i kind of I, I wanted to know why you know is japan so special and why what's happening in japan that it can't say for example happen in india because even in india you know the building codes are not so strict that we kind of have to adhere to those building codes and we have to make a building the way we make it right now uh, i mean you can delete that we have to adhere to building codes obviously but uh, uh, so so that's when i started kind of reading more about japanese architecture and i found this really interesting kind of concept or not so concept but just the idea of understanding time uh, in architecture is very interesting so how do you define or understand what happens in architecture so in japan most of the uh, i mean it's also historic as also religious reasons like you know a lot of earthquake happens so kind of they kind of don't try and build something very permanent in that sense so the idea of impermanence is extremely important and it's a given even if it's not there it's a given in almost all japanese architecture especially traditional architecture where they keep on building keep on building and nothing is permanent for them uh, because of frequent earthquakes or wars you know like the cities have been destroyed and they have to rebuild it almost immediately and then earthquakes come tsunamis come so because of these natural kind of events uh, the architecture there has developed in a very different way so the whole idea of impermanence in architecture also comes from you know a lot of buddhist philosophy impermanence is actually a big word in 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 kind of buddhist philosophy but uh, so, so when i was talking, talking about like the idea of impermanence in architecture and then i started reading more about you know like how the time manifests in architecture and then i kind of understood this really important thing which i would try and when i'm starting my professional practice i would like that to be like the mantra of you know like my practice you know the motto of my practice uh, and we have seen and a lot of people have spoken about it but kind of the life of the building does not kind of start or end when the building is done or the project is you know hand over hand over the project to the clients i think architecture even cedric price who have very heavily influenced by my thesis he says uh architecture is not an object in space you know that's how we usually see architecture as like these objects sitting in space but it's rather events in time you know like how it unfolds uh, along the time how things change how materials weather i think weathering of materials is really important in kind of in japanese architecture so like kind of the wood they use the way it transforms 
and and the idea of time in japanese architecture is at different scales you know everyday scale how the materials either you know, light falls on materials um how the the everyday the light changes the kind of you know the sciography changes things are in light things are in dark and the way you see materials through lightness and darkness to like a 100 year or a 50 year time scale in which the way material weathers uh things degrade and and how people kind of use that architecture i think this entire scale and timeline of architecture is very important to be understood rather than just you know at still moments or still photography of architecture i think it's it's this time span of 50 years we have to build and experience and you know keep on revisiting things or because architecture is going to change the people are going to use it's going to change there was this uh, one of my favorite projects is toyo ito's u house it's a very early project but it's a really beautiful house very simple there is a long slit of light the light kind of washes on this curved wall and because the is like a linear light on a curved wall it has a really beautiful like a play on that wall but also just the way the building kind of there was a building then it was overgrown by green like you could not even see the building then it dried off and then the building kind of was in crumbles and then the building was demolished i think this entire lifespan of a building from when it's built to when it is demolished i think that's what an architect should kind of you know try to imagine and understand and that's what kind of his work should be rather than just handing over a project employing a photographer to shoot one you know stills and that's it you're done and, and you know like bye bye i think yeah again so, so this all of this was happening in my head when i was in my fourth year and then i really wanted to then go to japan and see all of this happening and you know work and experience all of this and then yeah so when i applied to fujimoto's office luckily i got in there was again again my intention there was less of an office more of a travel so i could took like one month i kept one month for me like almost 3 weeks for me to travel and i was just working so my internship again there was very short i've done these really short internships in my life but so that was again like a two two and a half month internship like i was traveling for almost good three two and a half three weeks of my time there and uh, and japan is incredible i mean you you kind of you go there and you understand what time really is you know like the season changes and then once it's really cold and white and then there's cherry blossom and then there's spring and and the way architecture kind of uh, reacts to all these seasons there it's 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 incredible to see it's beautiful mm-hmm. no i always feel you know architects have a very beautiful way of experiencing and enjoying things more than a layman because we we really appreciate the details the subtleties of all these things um Good which is really nice Yeah, yeah, but you know, uh, you kind of skipped over your thesis thing. You wanna Sorry, skip over? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so, so there was this this idea of uh, you know understanding time in architecture, and kind of that became my key start to the thesis. You know, and then uh, at that time, then I started reading about Rahul's kinetic cities and uh, all of these. You know, they have the idea of impermanence in them. Uh, I also read Alvin Toffler's Third Wave, in which he describes Cedric Price project and both the projects. I think Fun Palace as well as Pottery's Think Belt. In both the projects, architecture is ephemeral in his. You know, like there's he has barely built anything, but he was trying to understand what are these events which can become architecture, rather than these objects or spaces becoming architecture. And uh, then I tried to kind of test some of his ideas, especially of Pottery's Thin Belt, onto my city of Bombay, where I was living at that time. And uh, so from there, it kind of led to this whole idea of questioning what universities are. You know, are universities these really built, walled campuses, or they're more? They should be more kind of ephemeral, or you know, uh, 
just in the city or or how can you kind of disintegrate that one kind of a large university into these fallen multiple universities which are you know, spread across the city which are more integrated in the city uh, so that's when i kind of something sim- very similar to what price did in set in, in pottery's thing bell so i took this university of it's called the central institute of fisheries education it's a large university in near the coast of mumbai in warsaw and kind of i took the programs of those universities and the program so it's it's kind of a very peculiar peculiar situation there because there's a fishing university 100 meters from there is one of the most famous fishing villages of the city which is the warsaw fishing village and they barely have any interaction you know like the students are studying fisheries there and the the fishing community is practicing fishing for over thousands of years they are like the initial of the, the first inhabitants of the city and interestingly they occupy the same space but there's barely any communication or you know the like the involvement between the two kind of there's because and one of the biggest reasons is you know there's this huge campus it's walled there's a main gate the security guard who stands outside uh, the students who live there they live in hostels which are inside the campus you know i can imagine them living in the fishing community and they are studying fishing it could be something different um, and then they have these really fancy high tech labs which are also inside the university campus so basically a poor fisherman has no access to these resources uh, so i was trying to kind of the whole concept then i kind of understood what are the programs in these in the university uh, and i took those programs outside the physical building and i kind of integrated them within kind of different parts of the fishing villages across the city it's not one fishing village almost like more than 50 60 fishing villages across the coastal city so that it the university was kind of disbanded and disintegrated into these large kind of swath of the entire city and then was connected by a very simple ferry network so that that ferry network kind of became like the link between these all smaller kind of campuses uh and and i i think the idea there was also whatever next things are built should be built inside these villages so that whatever the built is is not just one program i think even rahul speaks about that a lot that future architecture cannot be monoprogrammatic like it it cannot just be one program if you're building something it has the architecture should be able to kind of have multiple programs in it it should be designed in that way like so so similarly i think the building or whatever hopefully i kind of proposed was supposed to be a place where the university the the students the local community the industry kind of all come together and and those spaces can be occupied by different kind of people at different kinds and times of the day to so not one single university but like more community oriented community spaces which can become a university it could be a community hall it could be a fish auctioning is held so it's kind of all of these things together uh Yeah, that was my thesis work yeah and uh, kaivan mato was your guide a thesis guide at that time yeah. right yeah, kaivan was my guide and um actually it's incredible to have someone like him as your mentor because in one way he lets you do what you want but in another way he does not also so he he kind of is very uh, pragmatic in a way uh, and and he was really helpful during the research stages especially I was in all this you know lost between fancy words and i really wanted to get some of my japan thing in and uh, there were a lot of things happening i think a thesis guide role should not be telling what to do but just in a way what not to do and i think kevan was really good with that like he knew what kind of, of what a failed thesis could be uh, of course he has immense experience 
so he he kind of subtly he lets you know you know what is not right or not working not so subtly his words but like just uh, he he lets you know what may not work you know or what's a kind of an incorrect direction but he'll never let you know what tell you what is the next direction that you have to find for yourself right. you know, that you have to fetch yourself so hmm. uh, i think that's very important in a thesis i was really lucky to have him and then now we have we almost friends and we have kind of a good professional relationship as well and then uh, after that it was through kaiwan i actually got into udri because he was working on the state of housing exhibition uh, they were just forming the research team and i was in japan that time in turning and then he I just got an email from him would you like to join we're doing this exhibition on housing and i thought i think it's an excellent step again and i till this time i had not worked properly in an architect's office i had zero working drawing experience but i was always doing these short internships mostly related to kind of i was mostly wanted to travel at that time and then again there was suddenly this opportunity to kind of get into research you know again not doing architecture or or making drawings or something like that and this was when i started i came back from japan and i think the next week i joined udr uh, and i was a full time research assistant there and and uh, for 9 months we were working on this project called the state of housing which kind of culminated in a two month exhibition a conference and two volumes of books on housing so i think it's and and that's then again that's the link you know that's where i met rahul and interacted with rahul at because he was also one of the co-curators with Kevan and then with Rahul then I joined RMA so that's kind of you know everything then linked together from yeah. Japan to RRI to RMA yeah so it's almost like you know if you're on the right trail things kind of unfold you don't know how it's going to unfold but you know there are a lot of opportunities that keep arising hope to believe that that's what it's been working like that <laughs> but I, I i agree with you i think if 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 So you're on the. I mean, see, it's very difficult to define what the right path is. Yeah. You know, if, I would say if you if you're on a path, if you are there, you're doing what you like, and you're just with the right people. I think more than what you are doing, it's just who you are with. Yeah, uh, is more important because that's where the opportunities come from. You know, opportunities yeah. come from people. Uh, so it doesn't matter what you are doing or where you are. More than you know, kind of what people you are with. Uh, associated with, and then I've been extremely lucky since you know since the beginning. You know, like first because because of my dad, I got to know Pinkesh or Palinda. Then because of my thesis, it's Kevan and Rahul. So I think I've been extremely lucky like that in in that way to have this continuous, you know, you know, like a chain of people who have been kind of there for me. Uh, and let's see how we go ahead. You know, like yeah. now there's Robert who met at uh, RMA and. He's also been incredible and very supportive. Yeah. So I hope that's kind of the link in the transition ahead. Yeah. I want to briefly touch upon the your Sue Fujimoto episode in uh, Tokyo. I just want to know, you know, what kind of work environment uh, it is like in the studio. How how things happen over there? It must be very different. So I'm very curious to know about that. Uh, it was indeed very very different. Um, and I knew what I was getting into, you know, before okay. I applied. Okay. Then. I spoke to my seniors who were there. Like a few of them worked at Rishi Ami's office before I joined Fujimoto. Mm. Few of my seniors, mm. and I knew the work environment. I knew what I was expecting. But at that time, you know, my focus was more on you know going to Japan rather than you know what's going to happen there was secondary for me. Mm. Uh, so I don't know if it's right or wrong. Again, that we can discuss. It's a separate thing. You know, ethically, if you kind of have that practice, there's no pay. Obviously, I was working for free as an intern there. All the expenses Tokyo is an incredibly expensive place to live. So investing a lot of money 
to go and work in someone's office so i would never do that again nor would i do that to someone but uh, in terms of experience we worked 16 18 hours a day uh, but it never felt like that uh, mostly all the interns are kind of involved in a lot of rigorous model making exercise i think that's what is possible in japan because you have a, like an army of free interns and that's something you can't do in say europe or in india you know you can't spend so much time you don't have that much free resources with you that you can get so much time on design development but i remember for one project i made at least 100 120 like small scale iterations uh mastering iterations of a model and you know even if you have to just change one angle you know just cut something you don't touch an existing model you kind of start up fresh and then you have this incredible series and incredible story to say after these 120 models and that design development i think in 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 japan uh what i learned was how important it is to kind of have that design development phase that continued even in rma i i mean you've been also working in rma and you know how the whole i mean even when the project is under construction it is i would say it's under design development it's not kind of finished and you know the projects we are working on uh so i think that that phase of constantly kind of trying to change you know that that two sets of architects i would define you know one uh you know before the construction starts you have the set of 200 working drawings ready issued to be site and the architect then doesn't have to even visit the site you know the contractor kind of takes over and then everything is done and then uh then there are these i mean it could be different across there are different reasons different scales of project but then there are these different kind of group of people you know like even when you built a column you are kind of ready to break that column on site you know like there are these kind of two extremely different ends of ways of working and what i realized in japan is it was kind of in the middle so we spent an extreme amount of time on design development i think that's why this working 18 hours and when you have an army of free interns you can afford to do that and i'm saying that's why people in perhaps in europe or you know in india we can't kind of do that we can't have speed like we, on that one kind of a medium scale project i think i also remember one of my colleagues he was just working on an art installation it was kind of A, a bell on top of a hill, and then he that guy had to model the hill as well as that bell, and he did almost like thirty models of that. It was not even like you know like a build wall or a house yeah. or something. So uh, I think that that design development phase I learned how important that is. And then uh, Fujimoto used to barely be in office through the day. Uh, uh, I think he used to. So our days used to start at nine thirty, ten o'clock. and then he used to come to office we used to work all day there were different things which we were uh, kind of working on uh and then that's and we whatever whatever we the work we used to produce especially the seniors they were working on renders for competitions or some drawings they used to pin that up so the at the entrance there was a old office i think the fujimoto architects have moved to a new office now but in the old office uh at the entrance there was this long corridor on the left hand side on that long corridor they used to kind of pin up these sheets you know whatever happened through the day on top of the old sheets you know there were at, at times there were like 50 60 sheets pinned up and you could really see the whole process behind those sheets happening and then the, the latest sheets kind of came on top and we still had sheets from one week back of the design development and then fujimoto used to just silently walk in uh, see those drawings he had a pen he used to mark things mark his inputs on there and then obviously he had discussions with the group but like you know just late night he used to come have a coffee in his hand and then just kind of mark those drawings mark his inputs uh 
that was quite nice and then he used to stay in office till 9 8:30 9 o'clock sometimes or 10 o'clock and he used to be in the office till 10:30 11 12 i mean there was no limit man but i never felt stressed you know i was never i was drained physically but never emotionally because if you're enjoying what you're doing even if it's you know making 100 models but you know why you're making that 100 models then you kind of enjoy it if you don't know why you're doing it and you just kind of keep on doing it then then just a boring exercise yeah uh, Yeah. So, so if, if he comes during the night, what does he do in the morning or you know, in in the daytime? I think he does a lot of site visits. He he at that time he was a professor at the University of Tokyo, uh, so I think uh, he was involved with that. Uh, I, I'm not. That's what I think he was busy with, and I also think he had a lot of lectures and site visits and things which so, keep meeting people. He kept him involved. And, and what's the team size at the office? at that time i think we were around 35 to 40 people it was an interesting way the office was kind of divided so there were like three teams one was like the chinese team in which there were a lot of projects happening in china so you need that kind of people from china to understand the language and then also communicate with the clients there so there's a chinese team and mostly all the indians kind of were also involved with kind of projects in all the projects in like southeast asia and china uh, we went to that project or that team there was second team which was the japanese team in which obviously all the locals and you know all the local projects were happening and the third was an european team with kind of because so he had an office in, uh, in in france as well so kind of coordinating with that office as well as doing a lot of competitions in europe so the office was kind of divided by into these three teams each of these teams had like a head or a principal and like a, a team of architects and a large army of interns hmm. uh, in each kind of each team hmm. So how many interns were there when you were there? In my team, we were six of us. Okay. I I think almost similar size in other teams as well. So I would say there are around ten to fifteen interns at any given time. Hmm. Uh, and that's a large uh, number of interns. Yeah. Uh, and how 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 does things work there? Because is there a language barrier? How do you communicate with the team? How how does that happen? uh i did not there is definitely a language barrier especially kind of with the japanese team so with the europeans they are comfortable with english the chinese team with the indians they are very comfortable and fujimoto is extremely convenient like comfortable with english uh, you know compared to other kind of star architects in japan who are not so it was not difficult kind of uh, uh, communicating or coordinating things in the office especially when your projects kind of are based uh what what you are doing and i think even even with the younger people in japan you know like the the other interns i have or the other young junior architects they were kind of comfortable in english it was i think it's more or less kind of the older little older than our generation kind of were not that good but i think that's also changing even when i traveled across japan yes there's a large language barrier but it's so the cities are so well designed and so well organized everything is just you know you just know where things are you know like even the maps or the way you kind of navigate the subway system or the metro system you just know where to be and everything is so clear i mean everything is kind of in written it's all designed so that the tourists can come and understand things but it's extremely easy to navigate and understand and, and i have never found any I mean, even at any shopping mall or 711s or metro stations i've never had I never had to actually interact with someone. It was that kind of easy, like going into this Tokyo metro system, which is kind of the the largest metro system in the in the world. 
but still i did not even have to speak to anyone to understand that system you know because it's the drawings i mean the diagrams are it's so diagrammatic and it's so well defined and organized i think uh, it, it's 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 easy i mean hmm. language is never a barrier you know right. and as you say you know if design is also a language and, and yeah. we kind of went around the country through that understood through that language and i spoke for that language hmm. and how much is like the average uh, cost of living that you had to incur for your stay Oh, this is almost like four or five years back. I was really frugal on my eating because I'm a vegetarian, so I could not, I could barely eat out. So I actually made two meals, three meals a day for myself in the middle of working hours. Luckily, I was living right next to the office. So for lunch, I used to quickly go to my hostel, cook something there, eat again, go back, then dinner, come back to home, eat, and go back to office after dinner. So it was easy, but I spent. I mean, I saved a lot of money. not eating out which is actually a sad thing because i would have loved to eat out but again that's where i faced one language barrier for sure like it's extremely difficult for them to understand what a vegetarian meal is but everything i mean fish is vegetarian there yeah. eggs are vegetarian everywhere apart from india so i think it's uh, uh in that way it was difficult but then i even even that exactly i knew what i was getting into before i went this i was kind of fully prepared for cooking there so i saved some money there but i would still say i spent around i mean i was traveling a lot in the metros and yeah i spent i mean whatever i saved on eating perhaps i spent more on traveling mm. you know museum tickets and all of that i think i spent around 60 to 70000 a month there okay uh, yeah i think that's about it yeah like normal expenses uh, yeah on a budget and it could be more i mean i was living in a really really kind of a cheap I mean, not cheap compared to Indian terms, but cheap compared mm. to right. uh, the Japanese standard uh, hostel. Mm. Like a large community kitchen, and there were these bunker beds. But like, you know, like you know how Japanese bunker beds are. They're like yeah. three people in a row, and they're like yeah. hundreds of rows next to them. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay, and then and after all of that, UDRA happened, the exhibition happened, and then you got into RMA. So, yes. yeah. so, so you know. like just not rma i think you even living in mumbai itself is a big experience it's a whole different world out there and a lot of uh, <laughs> interesting memories you have uh, you know working and living in mumbai yes but i mean uh, it was not after rma i think that whole shift already happened when i was kind of i joined undergrad school in right in right yeah bombay hmm. and i My school was in this really upscale Juhu area, so it was <laughs> initially not that bad, you know. Like mm. when I went there in first year, my house was close to college, and mm. it was all kind of easy, kind of mm. going. But then eventually, you know, architecture with kind of uh, you have to step out and you have to stand in the sun and you have to kind of uh, even for your projects, even even if even if. you know they're just academic projects and you can get away with doing those things or you know uh, but a lot of our projects in in the school were contextually kind of placed in the city of bombay i think all my nine year uh, nine semesters except for one semester which we had in dharamshala all the eight kind of other projects including my thesis was kind of based in uh, the city of in the context of the city of bombay and once you kind of get that you kind of then have to understand the city you know i mean it's it's a big term you know understanding city but just like navigating the city speaking to people traveling in local trains eating out 
and there's such a huge kind of a variety of things you can experience in in the city uh be it smells you know like a lot of people complain bombay is smelly it is smelly and that's kind of one experience of a city uh you know like the whole the, the fish smell you know it, it was kind of very different but then you get you, you get used to it then the number of people it's overwhelming at once but then in the end you'll be like you feel uncomfortable when people are not around you you know yeah like, or it could be food this incredible street food especially for vegetarians and and in a way food kind of speaks a lot about kind of the culture which is there in that space obviously it does and bombay is such a cosmopolitan culture then you kind of have everything at your hand you kind of get everything to eat and you go out and so i think these the experiences are just like you know like even kind of the way people live there's so much difference you know like people from living in informal settlements to these really super fancy buildings uh you know just the way kind of they are they kind of turn out they turn up together or, or you know and so many people have uh, kaiwan has written about you know his book called alice in bhuleshwar in which he's trying to navigate those really tiny streets in bhuleshwar or when rahul speaks about kinetic cities and you know how these during ganpati festivals a lot of these people come together and kind of create a temporary city within a city and you get to see these things and you kind of and before you before i read these notes or before i read these books you you when you have kind of also experienced this you kind of understand what you know they're talking about you see this huge massive people coming out for ganpati vasarjan on juhu beach and the next day kind of and you kind of i, I lived very close to juhu beach at that time because my college was in juhu so just seeing that one stretch of beach transform itself through different days and seasons you know in monsoon the seas are wild the sounds are different the smells are different then otherwise you know it's the chapati smell there's a lot of people extremely crowded but not that crowded as like a ganpati festival and during ganpati or chhat puja time it's packed with people and uh, you know just the smells and sounds are different so you see this kind of things changing and happening and again you know this whole idea of time in architecture it is the you know this events in space which again i am just repeating myself these are the events in space you know which kind of build the city and not those objects in space mm-hmm. uh, right. and that's when i kind of then and this happens at almost every nook and corner of the city you know like bombay is an ever transforming city nothing kind of is static one day you see something the second day it's there not there yeah. the very few constants there and everything yeah. and people say it's, it's a constantly moving city it's not just the people are changing or the people are moving a lot of things are changing and moving with kind of the people mm. uh, and i think that's very unique to the city of bombay i would say and not so and i also think because a lot of kind of migrant population and and students and all of that and the kind of the culture they create it is kind of an ephemeral culture rather than you know like in aurangabad or, or any other place in the country which is kind of more static more yeah. of its own so how do you I really about like about bombay and i kind of miss that about bombay yeah how is juhu beach by the way i heard that like cleaning it up and it's like super nice and fancy now is that true cleanest juhu beach i've seen is after it gets the dirtiest you know like <laughs> so after ganpati with the 10th day of ganpati vasarjan uh, there's a lot of mess on the beach but then almost the entire city students from all over the schools different organizations rotaract and lions club everyone gets together everyone has their gloves on i've done that couple of times in two years and everyone the entire city gets to clean that one patch of land mm. and after two days of the ganpati vasarjan that's the cleanest beach you'll ever see so if you okay. have to see this team if you go there up two days after the ganpati vasarjan mm. mm. uh, apart from that it's 
it's again a very interesting space as i told you like in the the daytime it's kind of very quiet in the mornings people are walking the people from zuhu you know jogging there walking there in the evening it becomes this huge touristy destination you know we don't even understand why it's so touristy yeah. but then it becomes this huge i don't know what's happening now because of covid times but becomes this huge touristy festival you know and the belly any places to see there and i think the two biggest attractions in juhu especially for outsiders is amitabh bachchan's bachchan's bungalow and just like yeah. the beach right there yeah and then it gets so crowded uh, it, it's nice hmm. these things were very, very new to me like for yeah. for me it was i've been always in aurangabad and then just to see these things it's yeah. kind of just understanding the scale of it and the scale also changes throughout the day you know it sometimes it's just that one patch is active at night just the entire stretch becomes active and it's it's just the changing nature of a lot of things in bombay actually it keeps uh, you know when i was looking for places to stay in mumbai from the office the closest i could find was like 20 kilometers away from office and then i was talking to a couple of people and then they were like oh nice you find good find you got something really close by your office and i said you know 20 kilometers out of i would be out of hyderabad from my place <laughs> you know because it's so peculiar i have barely seen people talking in terms of kilometers that's again this one shift i had to make yeah. we yeah. always talking in time you know we always talking yeah. in terms of how much time yeah. does it take to get office you know i whenever i say if 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 you have asked me this question how far is your house how far was your house in bombay from rma office i would say 40 minutes i would yeah. never say uh, you know 10 kilometers or 12 kilometers that's never how you define distance it's like you know defining you know how light year is it like the, yeah. the amount of time light takes yeah. to travel this it's something yeah. like that so it's, yeah. it's about the time not kind of the distance because the time it's what uh, matters yeah so i mean yeah it doesn't matter if even if it's 40 kilometers but if you have a if you live very close to the station uh that's better than living 10 kilometers away but then you have to walk like 2 kilometers to get a auto rickshaw or a train yeah. or something you know like it's it's that way in the city hmm. you know like you know you're saying you know sharing some instances when you said you know people find most of their life happening in the trains because that's like a, you know a significant amount of time goes in traveling so you see people you know cutting vegetables and i was like blown away you know hearing all of this because that's where they save time to do you know all of this yeah but i'm not sure if it's something to be celebrated uh, i think these are some of the bad kind of things yeah. or or things which need to be corrected about the city i don't think so anyone should be cutting or chopping vegetables yeah. in in the train or kind of you know, having a fun time i mean fun time is fine but you know kind of doing the household chores and yeah. the train is perhaps not the right thing and that's just the way the city is designed or like it's it's a lot of it is deliberate a lot of there's no affordable housing near workspaces mm. uh, if you have to find a affordable house you have to really kind of go really far mm. there have been a lot of hits and misses that could have been really nice affordable housing in the heart of the city if charles korea would have been listened to mm. at multiple times you know with the the parade redevelopment or with navi mumbai but things didn't happen that way and because of a lot of political or as they say economical kind of influences there's no economical housing around places of work and and that's why people have to travel far and far and far and that's why when i tell you it's not the distance it's the time you know like if it's someone who's spending 2 hours traveling it's not the distance it matters to him he may be traveling for you know 100 kilometers or 50 kilometers he's spending 2 hours one way in a train and then he has to utilize that 2 hours of a time and and i've seen people who have made lifelong friends they play cards on the train uh, yeah. they chop vegetables they sing bhajans uh, 
everything happens in train you know like this is again like the the the, the uniqueness about bombay uh, you know there's this varkari yatra which happens every year it's a very famous thing in kind of uh, in marathi culture in which uh, uh, a lot of people go towards this temple town called pandharpur and that that yatra or that procession is called the varkari i mean called the varkaris and that they have to go to pandharpur uh, at particular time of the year during uh, uh, kadashi and that journey symbolically people in bombay do in the train you know so like the church gate station they kind of make a temporary pandharpur yeah. station like a, a village like a, the the dt is kind of placed there at church gate station and their journey from vasai virar or borivli to george gate becomes that journey for them so they are in that time on that particular day they are singing bhajans and everyone's dressed in white and they all become varkaris for that day and symbolically they do their journey in the train so that train also kind of is not a static thing you know it's just not taking you from one place to the other even if the destination is same it kind of changes on on kind of you know time of the year or you know a lot of things kind of influence things i mean that train is literally like the lifeline of that city and a lot of Yeah, but things need to be changed. Like exactly, I I would never. It's it's a unique thing, but I would never celebrate chopping yeah. kind of vegetables in a train. That's yeah. kind yeah. of sad. No, so peculiar, isn't it? And I, you know, you've been in Bombay for so many years. You know, can you do you know why it's not happening? You know, why is you know affordable housing not happening? Why is all and will it ever happen? Or or has it? You know, have people moved on from it? Have you know? Is that something we cannot expect anymore? that's a difficult question like you know currently now i mean there's first of all one of the reasons why housing is expensive because there's no land left you know uh, i mean there are lots lots of land which are kind of vacant and which will come up for development like hopefully touch with the eastern waterfront uh, there is there are different proposals and i hope there are some affordable housing options there but as in when land parcels opened up in bombay we have always lost that opportunity to kind of have either affordable housing or when we had affordable housing we didn't have the correct kind of uh, transport systems like after kind of the mills disappeared and and you know and parel parel was area industrial area full of mills uh, and when the textile mills and when the mills stopped working those huge portions parcels of land became available to the city uh charles korea and whole team had kind of given a proposal of 33 33 33% where 33% was affordable housing 33% was open spaces and 33% was supposed to be you know like a commercial aspect of it so you kind of sell the city sells of 33% so they get revenue to build uh open spaces and affordable housing but that never happened that never materialized so what we see in lower parel is become this most kind of an expensive destination to live we have these really large towers and really high end apartments and all was left in terms of affordable percentage like 2 or 3% of the land was made available to affordable housing compared to a 33% was supposed to be made available that was one of the biggest opportunities kind of right in the heart of the city we lost uh, to build affordable housing and the second when when navi mumbai was proposed as kind of a, a satellite city there were really interesting experiments with raj rewal or charles korea building affordable houses there for silpo but what it lacked was the transport link to bombay so there were no direct trains and it took a long amount of time or you know there was supposed to be this bridge which is under construction now after 70 80 years but 60 years but charles korea had proposed that link between navi mumbai and mumbai quite a few years back and if that link would have been made 
there would have been in numir like a, a good occasion for people to kind of move to that part of the city live there because there was land was available housing was cheap but you know as in, as we as as i have also learned in and when i was working and doing the research housing is just not in isolation you know you can't just build a very cheap house somewhere you know like there are a lot of things around it what happens so even if the housing was available in navi mumbai there was no way people could there was no way people could transport there were very few schools or colleges around you know so housing cannot be just understood in isolation of just that built unit of a 1 bhk or a 2 bhk but what makes housing is a lot of things around it so it, you know even like it does that housing support jobs does that housing support the the cultural life of that person you know like i i'm okay to move somewhere 50 kilometers away but you know will i have my friends there will i have my society my family there you know that also matters a lot when a person is kind of making a decision to move somewhere uh, will i have transport systems there will i have college hospitals which are nearby you know all these things are important so you have to kind of build housing with thinking of these things so navi mumbai again it was a lost opportunity so there there were these opportunities which came by in the history of bombay uh in the recent history of bombay i mean there have been different experiments earlier which kind of we lost now there's this another opportunity with the eastern waterfront eastern waterfront redevelopment again a huge parcel of land which is coming up for development uh and and i hope kind of that kind of materializes and we have large uh affordable houses which kind of come up there you know a lot of these insights that you talk about housing actually also came up through the exhibition you know the state of housing uh, that you were a part of how how do how can people uh, you know um uh, you know refer that material or the research work that you've uh, um all uh, right so basically uh, as i said the the research kind of culminated in a two month long exhibition and two sets of books one set of book talks about kind of different 80 different experiments in the city in the country in terms of housing so there are more like case studies which we call chronotopes which kind of uh, strike start right at chandigarh in 1940 i mean in, in 1947 48 the whole uh what was the housing imagined in chandigarh because that was you know we were a newly formed country two kind of the most recent examples in bombay where we have these sra schemes and it covers almost 80 different examples in the middle of different kind of experiments in housing so that's one volume of the book which was again a big part in the exhibition and second volume is more about uh, you know the whole history of housing and the development of housing in india and a lot of essays by well known uh, academic researchers in the country and their essays on housing and these two books are available at udri sadly they are not available online you have to like either send a check or a demand draft to udri and then they will kind of courier you the books wherever you want them uh but right. that's that's the only way you can kind of access that material and i think it's uh both the volumes together i think they are kind of very definitive and they have a lot of i would say in next 5 years 10 years i think will be important reading and referencing materials Uh, become like with the state of architecture exhibition amazing uh and finally i want to uh, talk about the last segment of you working at rma um you've been there for the last 3 uh, years 2 and a half years if i'm not wrong 3 years yeah 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 and uh, there it's a lot of interesting stuff stuff all is happening at rma you have uh, found a, you have a research vertical you have a practicing wing and then you always have you know a lot of these interesting um 
exhibitions which are curated through rma and all of these other things that happen so how how was your learning at rma over the last 3 years so i think first of all i think rma obviously starts uh, with rahul and sometimes i personally feel that two rahuls in this world one which we don't know about and one we see every day it's like you know amir khan in room 3 there's somewhere i i don't know how that man gets so much amount of work done he is a full time uh, kind of professor at gsd then he has he knows everything about all the projects at rma then he has his research happening uh, he kind of speaks every week so i don't know how that guy you know i, I either he spends 48 hours of 24 hours and or we kind of that two rahuls which we don't know about but that's uh, you know that's where i realized that when i was at kind of i didn't realize that actually when i was working with udri he was so involved in the exhibition i didn't know that he was so involved at rma as well and then when i joined rma after completing udri and i was completely taken back you know like that guy is doing 30 projects but he is also kind of did a huge exhibition just like a week back and i mean just like a huge research kind of a part like for my last 9 months and he was also full time professor at gsd so uh, but but apart from that I, i think because of this because of this exact reason he trusts people a lot and he gives them a lot of and uh, kind of uh, how do i put it responsibilities in a way so when i joined office uh, in my first week i was supposed to do and i as i told you you know i had no working experience before this you know, i was just traveling or i had this udr experience this was my first architecture experience uh, in, in in a very in a true sense uh and in the first week i was supposed to lead a project the first week of joining uh and i was supposed to have this meeting to discuss an intense structure with the structural uh, designer and i was really overwhelmed i mean i was really scared at some time but because of you know that responsibility he and the trust he puts on you and the entire office this is not rahul you know even robert and pile or or the office culture is is such that they give they put enormous amount of trust in you and i think that trust is extremely important when you're working in that in an office especially of the scale and then that let me kind of first of all grow and learn very fast you know like having meeting and leading a meeting with a structural engineer in the first week of your office you kind of get into it directly you know you have no time to adjust or to understand a building or you know how working drawings work everything at rma is learning by doing there's there's no other way i can put about it and i'm sure you must have also realized uh, this by now and even if it's if even if there are interns i don't think we kind of treat interns uh, or there's a separate kind of a program for internship at office everyone does everything and it's it's because of this and the more they trust you the more faster you grow in this office and uh, and it's it's an extremely professional kind of a setup that's ex- this is exactly how i would want my office to be in future uh, just the way kind of you know we have some hierarchy i think that's important especially when rahul is not here but that's not i would say a very rigid or a definitive kind of hierarchy in the office it's very uh, not casual but very organized and it's very very efficient the way we work extremely efficient and also the go- the good part is since rahul was already in the stage we had that we had this already developed this long distance remote working kind of we were very comfortable with it so as we transitioned into this remote working system it was i think Easiest for us, yeah. like yeah. it was super easy for us to uh, work from homes. And now I think 
which is not very different from what i used to be working in the office except for like we were physically together but i don't see any kind of changes in the kind of quality of design perhaps we think we all collectively think the design quality has improved but i don't see any difference in the kind of conversations we are having just because we are working remotely or you know work wise we have kind of lagged up there i think we are there we are right there it was super easy for us to kind of transition uh yeah absolutely wonderful and uh also you know when 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 you're working in an office like that there there are always is the certain amount of um influence and baggage that you take on like even when you were in sri lanka or in japan now here and now you're at this point where you're starting your own practice so how is this going to manifest or not manifest in your practice this is my last question yeah i i really hope it does and i really hope all of the experiences i would say uh be it from pinkish's office or sri lanka or uh, case design or udri or or rma i think all of the offices have learned something very unique about all of these offices and i all of them are like are, are successful practices you know like all of them and i've learned some very unique things about all of it you know just the way office or you know materials or you know just hands on stuff at case design whereas you know just the office works in at rma or or you know in japan how much time you put into design development or in sri lanka you know how you actually kind of sit in the nature and you know live with snakes and still work i think these are all very unique things i learned from all these kind of different uh, spaces and i as i told you most of them have also been educators you know like pinkesh or rahul or palinda or fujimoto so i i and i really hope kind of i to become one like even kevan apart from his research he is also teaching at sept and at my school doing thesis so i really hope all of this kind of manifests into what i want to do and i i want to do like you know i i recently i spoke somewhere i told this i still i still am and i'm you know like this in 2011 i think google earth was launched and in 2012 i was in my 12th standard when i downloaded on to google earth and you know it, it's it's kind of equivalent to when you know people saw the image of satellite image of earth for the first time you know like that was 1960s when you know the the earth rising image or the blue you know the blue dot image became very famous for for me it was that same time you know like on google earth Uh, and that was the same time I was trying to pick on the profession, you know, like in, after twelfth standard, I wanted to kind of why and why not to become an architect. And that time I downloaded Google Earth, and I was really scared, you know, like when you kind of flip through and you see what you build stays on Earth, stays on this planet for a long time, you know. So you should be very careful with what you are building, or you know, you should be very kind of. That's why I'm, I get. I mean, when I'm, I'm starting practice. i am really scared to even put one line on 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 this planet because i know when i'm putting something there it's going to stay on for years and people are going to see it from you know you see it from space so that's kind of before i start my practice i just kind of then want to understand and try something so that you know like as minimal not in terms of aesthetics but in just in terms of before you know all these words also i didn't even know about green architecture in in class 12 you know like i didn't know anything about it or i didn't know what green buildings are but i just know the concept you know i know that if i want to build something and i want to leave a mark on this earth it should be kind of something which is you know worth it for earth i mean everything you build is going to be bad but how minimally then you can kind of build and use materials or or do something which is 
you know even ephemeral you know like things it should just it should be able to disappear or change because if you're not building 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 which are not multifunctional like what rahul says or they're not ephemeral what i learned in japan but they don't change with seasons or times or or if you're not ready to accept that's going to disappear one day then i i think you're doing injustice to this whole uh, planet and the way we are living so uh, very deep but i hope you aren't trying to understand what i'm trying to say but yeah i'm still very scared to build anything like i just this whole i have this trauma on you know my fact that i don't want to put something that i know will stay on this earth for a long time mm. i don't want to see my buildings from google earth so i just want to have some sort of an invisible building system or something i don't know <laughs> well on that note thank you so much arif i think that's a lovely note to actually end this conversation that's something that we should all think about and uh, something that we should all so be scared about you know when we, we should exercise architecture with caution and you know with a lot of uh, you know um a lot of uh, context and understand things and you know be as sensitive as we can you only once who can do something and you know the face of the earth is changing because of architects and engineers yeah. no other profession you know doctors not kind of trying to change the face of the earth or a, yeah. or a accountant or or anyone else for that matter it's us and it's been us since millennia you know like we've been living and we have the idea of dwelling has been there for millions of years and it's us as architects and engineers who are kind of changing the face of the earth so we should be extremely careful even before we draw one line because that one line is going to change the way the earth looks for a very long period of time so absolutely absolutely well on that note thank you so much ayush for doing this finally i'm so happy that uh, we finally got the time and opportunity to do it <laughs> i hope i didn't bother you too much no no i i really enjoyed it yeah. i really i'm glad i found a forum to speak nonsense and blabber my thoughts out but some day perhaps after 5 years i'll be laughing at my own thoughts but at least i'll have something to laugh about you know like yeah. five years or maybe not but let's see how yeah. it goes thank you so much it was lovely talking to you <laughs>